on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hacker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Okay, we got important guys coming back for OU. We got the guys at the Under Armour All-American game. We recap the semifinals in the college football playoff. Look ahead a little bit to the national championship game between TCU and Georgia. And we give you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, January 4th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of January, all you have to do is visit riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now we're recording this on Wednesday. Please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment while you're at it. Teddy, are you all right? Because I, <laughs> I am playing a road game, right? I'm out in Hawaii. You look like, and the YouTube, uh, the YouTube viewers will understand, you look like you're in some type of bunker somewhere. Are, are you okay? Has someone taken you hostage? Yeah, uh, there's... If there's some guys behind me with AK-47s and a map shows up on the back, let me know. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm at the uh, the ref studios uh, today. Busy schedule. Some people are out doing some fill-in time at the station. So had to make it work. And it should sound good. I know it doesn't look good. should sound good. It sounds spectacular, and really that's all we're concerned. As long as the internet connection is good and your mic sounds good, that's really all we care about. We we haven't done a ton to uh, spice up the visuals on, on this here podcast, but, you know, we, we try our best. We try. Yeah, no need. No need. The people want uh, authenticity, Gabe. Yes, and let's get right into it. It is, I'd say it's your favorite time of the year. Graphics season. <laughs> yeah. A lot of graphics yeah. out there, Ted, and some some important ones for Oklahoma football when we start. You know, we're, oh, by the way, Happy New Year, dude. Yeah. Happy New Year to you as well. And Happy New Year to everyone out there. Uh, excited for a fun 2023 here uh, on the podcast. But now we start looking at Oklahoma's 2023 season. Right. We'll we'll talk about some of the things that, you know, went wrong 
throughout uh, 2022. I'm sure we'll touch on quite a bit of that during the off season, but we've got, we've got graphics coming out left and right, right? Deshaun White puts out an announcement. Uh, he'll be entering the 2023 NFL draft. Braden Willis, no surprise, right? Puts out a graphic saying he will be entering the draft as well. But those are two guys that, you know, points in time, and I know Deshaun had some rough moments throughout the season, but at points in time, we talked about them being the two most consistent guys on each side of the football for for this team. So we expected them to go, but seeing it in the graphic, and they thanked everyone and did all the right stuff, and those are two two guys that I really enjoyed getting to know throughout the season. But those are two voids that are going to have to be filled, right? And it's not just the play on the field. It's the leadership, the experience that they brought to the football team. Yep. Yeah. On both sides of the ball, um, Braden Willis obviously was, was really the heartbeat of the football team. Um, but you know, did some, some great work on the offense. We know what he brought in the running game and some of the lateral passing stuff with his blocking and just had his best productive season as a sooner, as far as catches and touchdowns and, all those things were awesome. And yeah, Deshaun White had to bump out, play a different position, was a inside backer for his entire career. Venables came in, learned a new system, learned a totally new position that asks uh, totally new things from him, requires a totally different skill set, and went out and, and gave them a, a good solid year. Um, you know, and I think it was probably good for him to show some some capabilities to be able to play outside the box. It will be good for the next level for those guys to to see that. But yeah, both of those guys. You know, this is what college football is, and and you know, this isn't an Oklahoma issue. This is every team graduation, guys leaving for the draft. There has to be new players step up and assume those spots. The good thing is whenever you have good leaders leaving, typically the guys that step in and replace them have kind of seen the formula, right? And and know what it takes to be a good leader, what it means to be a good leader. I think it makes it easier on the guys coming in behind them. Yeah, and you look at the tight end position specifically, I, I would assume Austin Stogner is going to be more than comfortable stepping in and filling not only the role that Braden had on the field, but off the field as well, right? Stogner, he, he's not exactly a quiet guy, right? Uh, I mean, he is, he's willing to say what he's got to say now. Will he be as comfortable as Braden was doing that, you know, developing the relationship, not only with the guys in the locker room, but with the staff, right? You, how many times did we hear Levy or Venables, Talk about Braden Willis being like, hey, he is Oklahoma football. Like, that's what a Sooner's supposed to be. That's what it's all about. So I, I just wonder, can can that leadership, that trust be developed here over these next couple months with someone else in that room? And you don't you don't have to have the leader of the team be a tight end. That's not what I'm trying to say, but he was just he was such a vocal presence in that locker room it's hard to replace a guy like that who had to really embrace that leadership role and not that doesn't even go to mention what he was for him on the field 
as as a playmaker and kind of as the tone setter of the football team. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a tight end, but on the offensive side, I think it kind of like that's that's really what you want. And I don't know. I'm I'm speaking from the defensive uh, point of view typically, but I don't want to be led by someone who's in a blue jersey all day, who is over there laughing, throwing fade routes into the trash can in the corner of the end zone, whenever the rest of the team is doing combo drill and just crushing each other. Right? That I want someone that's in the mix. You know that that is out there that's putting the same type of effort that that most of the guys are. And not to say that quarterbacks don't put in effort. That's not what I mean. But, you know, I don't want to be rallied up and come on, guys, let's focus. Let's let's get it together 10 days into two-a-days, you know, when everyone's beat up, hurt, and the quarterbacks are sitting there fresh as daisies laughing before the uh, practice gets going. Like that. That doesn't usually sit very well with me. I want someone that's in the fight. Yeah. So, what you don't mean like, hey, the quarterback's going to be the leader of the team, right? That's the position, right? That's mm-hmm. what comes with that position. But there are points in the season, whether it's uh, winter workouts, spring ball, uh, certainly like when you're on the practice field during spring, during training camp it doesn't quite hit the same if the quarterback is the one going, Hey, let's knock them in the mouth, you know, like, like let's impose our will on them. Now quarterbacks say that stuff. And if, you know, if the team likes the quarterback, which I have, I haven't heard a bad thing about Dylan Gabriel when it comes to his leadership since he's been at Oklahoma, but it just doesn't, doesn't quite carry the same weight when that guy is not having the, having to participate in the activity that he is trying to encourage you to do. If that makes right. sense. Like that's right. That's so, right. And if Braden Willis, it's easy whenever week in week out, you get up on the film, you know, whenever the whole team comes together and you watch uh, a handful of plays, sometimes a bunch of plays of, of guys giving extraordinary effort, right? Blocking two, three guys sprinting all the way downfield to get a piece of a guy that, you know, turns it into a touchdown, you know, blocking guys that are bigger than them, you know, having to block defensive ends or defensive tackles. Like, to me, that is inspiring. And uh, that's why I say it doesn't have to be a tight end, but it kind of fits to where it's a guy that has to do a bunch of different things that a lot more people relate to on the football field. So that's a perfect segue to a guy that announced he's coming back. And a guy that you and I are a big fan of when he has the capability to use both hands and when he <laughs> plays with low pads, and that's Isaiah Coe. Uh, he announced he is coming back. And this one feels pretty significant. Not only what we just talked about, you know, having guys in the trenches lead, guys that are kind of in the fire there, you know, day in and day out, whether it's practice, you know, the, the physical positions that are kind of the tone setting positions in the sport. But man, this defensive line, they need experience. They need productive players. And that is what Isaiah Coe has been. Now he's probably been too much of a flash player, right? He probably has not established the level of consistency that he wants, that we want to see from him. And I think that's why he's coming back. But 
this I I saw this and this had me fired up, Ted, because you and I think that he is he's an all conference type of player there in the interior. If he can just put it all together and with another great offseason, I mean, he's already strong as hell, but with another great offseason technique work with Todd Bates, with this defensive staff, like Isaiah Coe seems like a guy that hasn't reached his full potential at Oklahoma. So I was I was really fired up to see that he he I, he made the right decision, in my estimation, of coming back and giving it another go. I think that he can – I think he can really improve and be very effective for him in 2023. Totally agree. He's one of the the guys that I think are um, relative. He's not unknown, but not one of the more common names that you hear thrown around whenever you're talking about this football team. I think he's got a chance to be uh, one of the guys that we're con- talking talking about constantly in the future. Whenever he plays low and comes off the ball with good technique, he's he's pretty much unblockable. Uh, he is incredibly strong. Uh, you know, he's got like a really good drive. He's he's hard to move out of there. And you know, here's the thing: it all works together like a puzzle. And if you're playing good at defensive line and you're not getting good play at edge or at at backer or at safety, some of those support. Uh, positions, then a lot of times it can go unnoticed. Uh, if you're winning your gap and you're dominating your gap, but someone is not fitting in the right place and that just goes right out the gate, then a lot of times your work isn't isn't really viewed. Right? You're not you're not seeing the the production come from what you're doing. But I believe that we're going to be much better at inside backer. I think we're going to be improved at edge, and I think we're going to be better at safety. Like as a total defense, I think we're going to be better in that has a, a real chance to highlight what Isaiah Coe could do on the interior. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. I I also just from you know being down there on the sidelines for games, like he that dude's got some juice now. Mm-hmm. He's got some juice and like that. Uh, you have to have a couple of those crazy defensive linemen. You just have to have yep. a couple of them. If you don't have them, something's wrong. And he's the type of guy that random screaming, audible noises, like he's that type of guy. And you have you have to have those types of guys. And I I just think that it was it was important. And, and I know we got a long way between now and when 2023 kicks off. By the way, we st- still no schedule. Still no schedule. But mm-hmm. having Isaiah Co it feels really significant for that defense. For me. Now he's got to stay healthy. He's got to produce. He's got to improve during the offseason. But you got to have a super strong dude that likes to scream every once in a while, man. Uh, I mean, you got to have that guy on the interior of the D line. You got to have him. He, you know, there's always a lot of fights or scuffles or whatever in practice, sometimes in the locker room. I, I don't know, but he just kind of appears to me to be the guy that. That never happens for some reason, right? <laughs> no one out of all the interior defensive linemen, I don't think anyone is choosing Co uh, to scrap with. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but I'm 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 thrilled he's coming back. Uh, he's a he's a big anchor in there, and that's a that's a position of need that we've been thin at, and you know he's he's going to have to have a big year, and I think he's capable. Another graphic 
that was put out. Woody Washington, let everyone know he will be coming back for another season. And this is the way I see it. He had some really good moments in 2022, and then he had some struggles. It's kind of like everyone on the defense, learning a new system. But just from, from talking to Woody and talking to Jay Vlai throughout the season, they were really pleased with his progress. And I, I talked to Vlai about it. Like if, if he could come back for one more year, he thinks he could really elevate his play at corner. Now he's not going to get any taller. All of it, he's not going to be six, three, all of a sudden with super long arms. He's just that that's not the type of corner he is, but knowledgeable experienced guy that now has played a ton of football in an Oklahoma uniform. This is another one where I saw it and I said, listen, that is big because he brings leadership. He brings experience. And there's going to be a bunch of guys now on that defense that do have better measurables and they need a guy like Woody Washington leading them in the back end. And he's more than willing to do that. He, he embraced that role this year. And I think he's only going to get more comfortable in it. So it gives you depth. He's probably going to be, you know, he's probably going to start another season at corner and I, you're getting a starter back on the defense who really did some good things this year. Now the improvement, it, it's got to happen, but just another one where I saw it and I just went, yes, come on. That's this is a very positive thing for OU's defense. Experience is everything, right? Experience is everything. And the more guys that we have coming back, the more starters we have coming back, the better things are going to be. Um, and I, I, I think that, it's, I know people are going to think I'm crazy, but I think the secondary is going to be perhaps the most improved overall position group on the entire football team from 2022 to 2023. I, I think you'll probably, unless I'm missing someone, and I may be, get every player back, every starter back. Um, and then you're also adding – a lot of athleticism. You're getting some good young athleticism. There's some good young players that that are uh, starting to transition in and get a little bit more time out there. Um, you know, corner, safety, like we are going to be really athletic at safety. And we're adding some experience there, obviously, with the, the Texas Tech transfer, which is going to be good. So, yeah, with, with Woody Washington coming back, I, I think we're set now. We, we've talked about it. We've seen – from time to time that, you know, a defense here or there on other teams that whenever they've got a bunch of returning starters, they just play really good football. And we haven't had that. We've had such massive turnover at all positions across the board for so long that I think we got a chance to have some really good uh, experience coming back. I think it's going to pay huge dividends. There is, there is, uh, a saying that Matt Wells uh, would tell me when he was the head coach at Texas Tech when we'd interview him on my serious show. He's like, hey, I want to get old and stay old. Mm -hmm. And these, like, getting guys like Woody Washington and Isaiah Coe to play another season, like, are they first-round picks? No, they're not. And they're not going to be first-round picks. But what they are is mature, experienced, old, grown men that know what it's like to play in big games, that know what it's like to go through the grind of a season, and you'd rather have 
that guy on your team than not. <laughs> like that's that's just where that's where it's at. So to have experienced guys coming back that can that can also lead and, and kind of mold some of these younger guys that do have what would what people would consider more talent than them, like better measurables than them. Like it's it's important. And it keeps that defense older. And I, I know a lot of people, they want they want the freshmen and the and the red shirt freshmen and all those guys that you know had all the stars next to their name to play. You want to sprinkle those guys in with guys that are very, very old and experienced with 22, 23 year old guys. And that's what you know Woody Washington and Isaiah Coe are. Yeah. Jester Broyles and Deshaun White, those are really the only two guys I could think of that that aren't coming back. Am I missing someone? No. I, well, I guess Jeff Johnson um, on the and there's some interior defensive line guys, but oh, Redmond, Redmond, yeah. But for the most part, like you're going to have a bunch of returning starters, and that's going to be returning starters or returning guys that have played a lot of football, and that's going to be critical. Yeah. The, here's one thing we haven't talked about on here. And I would say Oklahoma State fans were not overly thrilled about it. Trace Ford announced he's coming to Oklahoma. And he is a guy that, when healthy, is a productive football player. Got good strength. He's got good twitch. Now, the injuries have added up. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's been a while since he's been able to put together a, a stretch of, of, you know, just impactful football without getting hurt but it feels like if you can get him to his ceiling you can get the most out of him you can keep him healthy it, this sounds weird but like it's a risk worth taking right? yeah. with, with what with the flashes we've seen from him as a player there on the edge uh, at Oklahoma State and remember they Jim Knowles did some stuff where he kind of floated him in the middle of that defense um and, and he was effective in that role as well. But I, I'm intrigued. I know I'm intrigued. I, I, I'm just not entirely sure where he fits in the defense. Like, obviously he's going to be an edge guy, but he also when healthy, I feel like I just have to, to throw that caveat in there. Every time I talk about him when healthy, I mean, he's, he's a twitchy guy. So I'm interested to see what Chavis and BV kind of do with him. But yeah, that was uh that's a first, right? Oklahoma State to Oklahoma transfer. How about that? Yeah, yeah. And and we need it. You know, we need to we need to get better at edge. We need more production there. And like I don't know how they're gonna use McCullough. I don't know if they know how they're gonna use McCullough, the transfer from Indiana, but he'll be coming off the edge some in some packages. And Trace Ford, same thing. Not sure how they're going to use him, but we know he's going to be coming off the edge uh, at times. And, you know, we've got Grimes there. We've got Ethan Downs. That position needs to get better. We need more production. And at a minimum, there's going to be way better competition there. Our Mason Thomas got a year under his belt. He's going to get bigger and stronger uh, start to turn into that that more of the the grown man on the edge instead of the the young buck. So that position, I believe, is going to make some big leaps and needs to make some big leaps. 
it would be it would be awfully nice for Trace Ford to turn into an absolute dude in an Oklahoma jersey because seeing Oklahoma State fans melt down about it would be oh <laughs> oh it'd be so good. Please Trace Ford, please just ball out. Have be like a double digit sack guy, please. With can you imagine the content, Ted? Come oh, on. Be beautiful. Come on. Let me ask you, because he's listed at like 245. I feel like he's bigger than that because he's like 6'4", right? I mean, is, is he is he 245? Uh, the thing about him is like he looks the part now. Yeah. Now, does he have the arm length like that you're looking for? Maybe not. Uh, but he, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we said about Co and Woody Washington. Like he's been in a, he's been in Oklahoma State's weight program for several years. Now, like he's it's been getting one. after it with Rob Glass, who's one of the best in the business. Like he he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Like the measurables, the strength, the the pop is there. Just got to stay healthy. Got to stay on the field, man. The but, re- yeah. The reason I ask is, you know, I I would like if we got into some packages where he could be a, a rush three technique, you know, in some in some third and third and long situations where we know we're bringing uh, just a four-man rush and play coverage behind it. You know, you see it often where they put a more of an edge guy in on the interior as a, as a, as a three technique, but typically those guys got to have some size. I was wondering if, if he's big enough to be able to do that, but we'll see. They'll find uh, creative ways to get him get him going. Yeah, I would not be shocked at some point if he is playing, you know, some Paul, call a spinner. Right, mm-hmm. kind of floating a third and long, second and long, kind of floating there in the middle of the defense, walking around, and then he ends up being an interior rusher. Like I, I could see him, I could see BV using him that way if he feels good about his strength there in the interior. Which the guy looks strong. I'm, I'm yeah. assuming, I'm assuming his weight room numbers are are not not impressive. But <laughs> hey, it, the most important thing for him is getting his body right and making sure doing whatever it takes to where he can stay on the field, stay on the field for the entire off season, right? Get better. And then, and then stay healthy throughout the season, but we'll see. But this is the way I've described it to people. I'd rather have him than not. Yeah. I I think, I I think he's going to, you know, at a minimum be a rotational guy, but, the upside is there for him to be a big, big, big contributor. Yeah. The like, is he a better player than Marcus Stripling? He's been more productive throughout his career yep. when he's been on the field. So if the goal is to constantly upgrade the talent and productivity of the roster, it feels like Trace Ford does that. Now, if he can if he can stay healthy, how many times am I going to say that about this guy? <laughs> if he can stay healthy and get to, you know, reach his ceiling and be the player that I, I think we all thought he was going to be after that freshman year he had at Oklahoma State, then we're in business, man. Yep. But no, I agree. I uh, can't wait. Uh, th- something I'm sure you can't wait for. The Sooners got a punter via the portal. Ted Central Michigan punter Luke Elzinga transferring to OU. He's got two years of eligibility left. How excited are you, man? Come on, Elzinga. I, I was wondering. I almost couldn't sleep 
you know, just wonder what are we going to do at punter? We're going to be okay. Uh, but man, the transfer portal comes up huge. Probably had to drop some huge NIL money on this guy, but we've got our punter secured. As long as he doesn't punt it through the end zone routinely, I don't care. That's I, all I ask. I figured you would say that. Listen, let Luke, let me give you some advice. <laughs> Just don't punt it through the end zone. And we're going to love you, man. That's it. Yeah, I know. It's it's impressive. And people love to see that, you know, that five and a half second hang time, the beautiful spiral coming off the foot. But not whenever you're kicking from the 50-yard line, okay? We don't care about that. We want yes. the defense to have some good field position to start off. Correct. Now, I have seen uh, some dancing celebrations of him, you know, breaking out the lob wedge, pinning teams inside the 10, inside the 5. Think we're gonna like this kid, man. <laughs> okay, all right. So, be, just uh, be conservative with the celebrations. Make sure it's it's worthwhile. You can't celebrate, pin them inside the ten whenever you've had four touchbacks on the day. Okay, correct. Don't, Luke. Listen to me very carefully. <laughs> Do not punt it through the end zone, please. Other than that, welcome to Oklahoma, my man. All right, so let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys the most important thing that happened this week for Oklahoma football, and I love this one from Josh Crawford because it's going to lead to a fun conversation. Uh, He says, the representation of Sooners at the Under Armour All-American game, not only did the number of kids that represented, but the level they played at makes you feel really good about the future of the program. Ted, did you catch any of it? Were you dialed in? I, I, I didn't watch any of the game, but I, I saw a handful of the highlights that were coming out during and, and after the game, and there's some good stuff, some good stuff in there. Yeah, so a lot of guys were down there, right? Remember, LeBlanc could not participate because he practiced with OU leading up to the bowl game, which, by the way, is a stupid rule. Who cares? Right. Who cares? If they practice with their college team, What? why does it matter? It it, it makes no sense. But he had Jackson Arnold, uh, P.J. Adebare, Peyton Bowen, uh, Lewis Carter, Caden Green, uh, Jacquez Petaway also down there. So I, I reached out to some guys that I knew that were covering the practices in the game down there in Florida. And every single one of them responded initially with something along these lines. PJ Adabari is a mutant, which, you know, I was expecting to hear. Now they all had very complimentary things to say about the other guys, especially Jackson Arnold, you know, the week that he had, I think he continues to impress people with his skill set, his legs, and his leadership. But all these guys are like, dude, is different. No one's practicing harder than him. His arms are ridiculous. Like, he's stronger than he was. Like, everything about it was extremely complimentary. I would say rave reviews for Oklahoma's five-star defensive end. He, it sounds like he was pretty damn dominant down there. Yeah, Um, this kid is, give it time, folks, give it time, right? But there's not many players that have the tools that he does. It's just, he's 
the length, the arms, the get off, the power. And, you know, he is right now he, he's long, but he's still strong. There's going to be a point where he's going to be incredibly strong. I think I saw a video of his younger brother. Uh, that's, I think, a sophomore. And think he, you know, just knocking out, uh, you know, 500 pound back squats, wearing like Nike, you know, Air Max 360s, which is like the worst thing you could ever squat in. It's just like, you know, no big deal walking it off the rack. Um, he's going to come into some incredible strength. And I think he's already there, but it's just a little harder to notice because of the long levers. But yeah, he's. This is a this is top ten draft material if he develops in the way that that he's that he can. He's just got gifts that you, you rarely see. OU has not had a guy like him in a very long time. When? Who? I, elite edge first round measurables at edge. I I mean I was trying to think of who it could long be time if if ever so yeah that's exciting like you said give him time give him time but i'm excited i'm really excited I know. but uh, so uh, did you see that pancake block by caden green yeah <laughs> i, I like that, like that man he in i i was watching him pretty carefully when he was out there on the field during the game his feet like he seems he seems pretty agile. I mean, it seems like he moves, moves pretty well. Um, he had some nice plays in the game. I, I'm a big fan of when guys like to finish and it, it appears that Caden green is wired that way. And while he was doing it, he was protecting his future quarterback, man, which made it even more cool. fun for me, but Jackson Arnold, like in the actual game. Cause I watched it. I watched pretty much every snap of it. I was bored. Didn't have anything else to do. I had a great throw on the touchdown. I, I think what stood out to a lot of people and what a lot of people are wondering is like, how well does he run? And he got out there and used his legs. And remember, this is a group of high school kids, some of the best players in the country, right? We're talking about some, some high level athletic dudes. And he looked more than capable when it came to pulling it down and running it. So that's, that's also exciting. We we've talked to Levy about, you know, adding that element back into the offense now that they have some, they're going to have some more depth, uh, you know, that they're going to feel a lot better about at the quarterback position. So, yeah, it was good to see him get out there and show a little wiggle. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's something we need for sure. That's, that's how you really unlock the true potential of this offense. And, you know, Dylan Gabriel is, he's effective when he gets out and runs, you know, it, it changes things. It puts, huge pressure on defenses we just weren't able to call much of it this year because of our our quarterback situation and 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 what we had going to backup so if if he continues to progress um hopefully we get to see a little bit more of that stuff in the offense for sure yeah still no announcement from dylan gabriel no graphic yet are we gonna get one or is he just gonna silently come back i can't imagine he's it would make no sense but i yeah i i expect him to be back i don't know who knows 
You and I would love if he just came back and didn't have to put a graphic out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like, oh, I forgot to tell everyone. Yeah, that I'm I'm coming back. Yeah, sorry about that. I was I told the coaches and everything, and I was supposed to make an announcement. I just kind of forgot. I've been preparing. Yeah. I don't know. There'll be I'm sure there'll be something going on, and that's fine. Have your moment. Um, but I I expect him to come back or it's not a good year to go to the NFL. I mean, there's there's going to be a bunch of uh, top quarterbacks that are in that in that draft class, so I'd be shocked if he didn't come back. Yeah. All right. Birthday shout-outs. Happy first birthday to Aaron Jacob Rodriguez. Happy seventh birthday to Julian Plost. Happy eighth birthday to Bobby Melton. Happy 15th birthday to Ashley Ramsey. Happy 31st birthday to John Saint. Happy 37th birthday to Mindy Plost. Happy 46th birthday to Jamie Nobles. Happy 48th birthday to Brian Ward. Now I'm wondering if that's just Nobles and I just really fancied it up. Fancy it up. There's nothing wrong with that. Jamie Nobles. I hope that's right. (laughs) Happy 51st birthday to Jennifer McCauley. Happy 69th birthday to Matt Damon. Looking young still. Looking young. Yeah. I don't know if that's that Matt Damon. I can't imagine that Matt Damon's 69, but you never know. Well, I know he listens to the podcast, so it probably is. It's a good point. Love you, Matt. Happy birthday to Jay Taylor. And happy 27th anniversary to Rodney and Jamie Nobles. Nice. (laughs) All right, let's get to the college football roundup. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Hamari. That coffee is fantastic. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery self-comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off. You get that off your entire order. You still get a discount on all the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. It's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. All right, National College Football Roundup. We haven't done a podcast since the semifinal games. Whoa. That was awesome. Yeah. The one uh, let, a day. Let, let's start with TCU Michigan. Kind of what what stood out to you in that one, dude? Um one of the things that really stood out is how well TCU's defense played early. You know, one of the things that that we had, had talked about was, you know how different that defense is and how Michigan hasn't seen it. And it took them a while to adjust. Now they came to life in the second half, but early on, man, it was tough sledding for them. And 
I'd say the freshman nose tackle held up pretty good. You're right. Against Olawatimi. He, I mean, that's that dude is a beast, and he did a pretty good job. I, I would say overall, like the first play of the game, right? First run of the game, it was like, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, they ripped off a 50 whatever yard run with Edwards. And I was questioning everything I knew about football. I was like, I'm an idiot. I told everyone TCU was going to hold up well, you know, picked him to cover all this stuff. And it was, uh, but they, they settled in defensively and, and really until, you know, Michigan had to dial up some trickeration to score some points. And when they got to the QB run game stuff with JJ McCarthy, I think they realized, okay, Hey, changing the math with the QB run game uh, was, was a way that just a route they had to go to really produce the, the way that they wanted to on the ground. But we talked about the QB advantage for TCU coming into the game. And I thought that was the difference, man. I thought Duggan was awesome. I know he had the two interceptions, but they were competitive plays, almost kind of unlucky plays that ended up getting picked off. Meanwhile, JJ McCarthy, oh boy, you throw two pick sixes in a game of that magnitude. That's hard to shake, man. That's hard to shake. So that uh the quarterback, the quarterback difference in the game. I mean, Duggan did not make the critical errors that McCarthy made, in my estimation. I know you look at the stats and Duggan didn't have a spectacular game, but I thought I thought he played well, man. I, I did, and he used his legs. And that affected a lot of the run game stuff that opened things up for Kendra Miller before he got hurt. And then Amari DiMercato, who came in and I thought played his ass off even with the fumble throughout that second half. But I thought Duggan's effect on the game was was significant. Yep. He was good. And, you know, that, that was really the one thing that that stood out overall is that TCU just – they looked like the better football team, right? They just, they went toe to toe with Michigan and, and beat them and were close to not just beating them, but beating their ass. Like they almost ran away with the thing. Michigan came back and turned it into a really good football game, but TCU absolutely looked like they belonged on that stage with the top teams in the country. And they got it done. This is it just continues to be a, a special year for TCU, man. Fun to watch. And I I think the most impressive thing throughout the football game, and we talked about it coming into the game. TCU had been in the close games, right? They'd been in the battles. They knew what it was like to feel that pressure. Their ability to answer when things got tight, right? Like it was Michigan comes back. It's 21-16. Felt like Michigan had all the momentum in the world. TC goes right down the field, scores, then they get a pick six. Mm-hmm. And it was like when you when when some teams that haven't been there, like TCU hadn't been there, you would you would, in that moment you would expect them to have a case of what I call lemon booty. Right? Get real tight. <laughs> yeah. Puckered up. Yeah. They they were more than comfortable. And that that was the most impressive thing to me. And you you mentioned I think if DiMarcado doesn't fumble that ball, TCU ends up winning by two touchdowns. Yeah. And I know people want to say, oh, well, the Roman Wilson, was he down at the one? Listen, hey, man, 
don't fumble the ball on the dive to score the touchdown. They, you can complain all you want about the spot and was it in, was it not? Don't run Philly special on the goal line and have it fail miserably. Like it did. Like the game, these games are about taking advantage of opportunities, and Michigan didn't do that. Plain and simple. And I will say this TCU looked fast as hell like they always look, <laughs> you know, at the skill positions. Like they looked faster than Michigan. Yeah. And six on defense, Jamel Hodge, that he's a killer. You know, I love yeah. me some Jamoy Hodge. Come on, man. He, the guy is an absolute killer. Uh, he's fun to watch. And hey, if, if you're questioning, like, if TCU belongs on this stage, the two-time running best offensive line in college football ran Philly special from like the half-yard line instead of, of trying to run over the top of TCU, right? That kind of tells you what they were feeling at that point in the football game. So, yeah. no, I, I thought it was thought it was great. Super, super entertaining football game, which we needed, man. We needed. It was it was awesome, and the other one wasn't too bad either. There was some talent on the field in Ohio State, Georgia. Uh, what a game! I know they lost, but listen, CJ Stroud was spectacular. Um, I think out of any individual who played in the semifinals, I, I think he earned the most respect out of anyone. And he was already, what, projected to be a top five, top ten pick. But he was fantastic. He looked so, like, head and shoulders above everyone when it comes to being the best player on the field. It was fun to watch. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, he can run. He can move. It's just we hadn't seen that from him, but... Yeah, and he's thrown to some great players, right? Marvin Harrison Jr. is a stud. Abuka's a stud. Like, they got dudes everywhere at the skill positions. He's not at this point, though, right, in the season. I mean, all those teams are throwing to studs. Yeah, he he looked awesome. And I think I, – I don't know the difference between being picked fifth and picked first, but I think he made himself a whole lot of money. Yeah, for sure. Yep, offensively, they they were up and down the field. Looked like they had it. God, that is a brutal way to lose a football game. Never Ugh. leave it up to the kicker. What are we That's doing? Right. That their inability to get anything right to get to make it an easier field goal after CJ Stroud rips off a run that felt like it felt like it was the game. Right? It was like, oh my gosh, he just took off. He ran inside the. You know, the field goal range green line they had on the field. You're like, oh my God, they're gonna be they're gonna do it. They're gonna beat Georgia. But their inability to get anything on first, second, or third down and give give Georgia's defense credit. But uh to not get what's his name, Ruggles any closer and to put him in that situation, ooh, not good. Poor guy. That had and there poor yeah, guy. There was no drama to that kick at all. I mean, as soon as the foot hit the ball, it was no good. <laughs> Which that's a tough spot to be in, man. I I know it. It's not easy. Uh, but hey, man, that's the difference between winning and losing. It's it's crazy that a guy that for the most part has been standing on the sideline for the entire football game 
is going to go out and decide the season for you. But it's that's the sport we play, man. That that's why that's why you need to be nice to your kickers. Have <laughs> have those guys in the proper state of mind. Um, Stetson Bennett wasn't at his best, but when they needed him to be great, they needed him to step up there in the fourth quarter. He delivered, man. He he had he had some beautiful beautiful throws on those last couple drives, pushing it down the field with confidence, uh, being really aggressive, and he's thrown to some dudes as well. So I, I thought, although he wasn't at his best, he delivered when he needed to deliver, and this is not any groundbreaking analysis, but Marvin Harrison Jr. is very good at football. Sucks, Ooh. absolutely sucks that he got hurt. Because I do think him going out in the late third, and I thought that that hit was clean, man. I thought it was clean. It's unfortunate that he couldn't come back in the football game, but I'm not so sure that Ohio State just doesn't keep racking up points if he stays in the game. They had no answers for that dude. Hard to when you've got a guy of that size and pedigree and athleticism. Yeah, that it's now. At the end of the, I wasn't sure how I wanted things to unfold, but I, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe you disagree, but I feel like Ohio State would have been the better matchup for, for TCU. But we'll see. I, I, and by no means do I think TCU is not going to be in this national championship game. I think they have a legit chance to win it, and I think the the spread is stupid. Yeah. I I agree. Let's just we'll we'll do a deeper dive, a deeper preview on Sunday's episode uh, about the title game. But let's just do some initial thoughts on the TCU Georgia matchup. I agree. I would have rather seen TCU play Ohio State, but I do think Georgia showed some vulnerability in that game. I I really do. I think that. And does it, it's not like TCU doesn't have absolute burners at wide receiver like Ohio State. Now, we could get in a debate like, hey, would you rather have Quentin Johnson or Marvin Harrison Jr.? Like, that's I, I think both of those guys are, are elite, elite, right? Yep. But it may come down to the other guys. And to think Georgia, I mean, if I'm TCU, Hey, where's number five? And Keely Ringo, he's got all the measurables you want, but he gave up play after play after play against Ohio State. So I don't think TCU is turning on that Georgia film, especially that offense going, oh, oh, we we have no chance. I I think that I think it's gonna be way closer. What the spread's like 12 and a half, 13. Yeah. All TCU does is play close games, man. I I just don't I don't see Georgia I think TCU just coming wins out. It. Yeah, I think TCU wins it. Obviously, anything can happen. I I, I could I, Georgia. You know, if if you're looking at the entire roster, they've got the talent advantage, and nobody's going to dispute that. But when you go starter for starter, it ain't that. It ain't as far as we would think I, if, and if we would have made that statement to start off the season, you know, 
deservedly uh, would be slapped by somebody. But where we stand right now, I don't know. Whenever you look at the pass catchers that TCU has across the board, they got the edge at quarterback, in my opinion. Agreed. Um, defensively, they, they've got playmakers in the right spots. They got really good cover guys. They got two excellent inside linebackers. They've got adequate defensive line, and they've got a scheme, once again, that Georgia is not going to be used to. So yeah, you just you don't see now you see it some in the SEC, right? What Odom was running it at Arkansas. There's a couple other places that have implemented it, but it's going to be very hard for Georgia to replicate in practice, right? It, it's just if that's not what you do, it's it's hard to simulate what TCU's got going on, and Gillespie's going to have some wrinkles. Man, going to have some wrinkles. Now, I do. I really like Georgia's run game. Uh, McIntosh, I'm a huge fan of that guy. Their their one-two punch at running back is good. Kendra Miller's health is is very important. It When you're not able to come back in the game and play, like, can you be ready to go 10 days later? I don't know. There's a lot of good medicine out there. I'm I'm hopeful, but him not being available as good as DeMarcado is, and, and you and I love him as, as a backup running back. Miller not being out there feels really significant for it TCU. Does. But with that being said, you look at what Stroud was able to do with his legs against that Georgia defense. Duggan runs better than Stroud and is certainly more willing to run it than Stroud. Like, with what we saw, like Max Duggan could have 150 yards rushing against Georgia, depending yeah. on how they want to play some things and what they want to take away defensively. So I I don't know, man. I just – I don't know how people can just assume that Georgia's going to beat them by three touchdowns. I, I get it. They've got way more talent, but – how many times does TCU have to prove that they're a really damn good football team? <laughs> you know, like, just, I, don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. You know, I think that it's just been pounded into our head how good Georgia is. And they are like, I I'm, I'm, don't want to take anything away from Georgia, but you know, they just gave up what 40 points, 41 to Ohio state. And I, that's a team that doesn't give up points very often. And to see that number on the scoreboard and whenever they're going through corrections with the coaches, like it's a shot to the ego. And then you look over and you see the team you're about to play. And I know they they had some pick sixes and stuff, but see that team just put up 51 on another top five defense. Like the pressure in this game is, all on Georgia's side, all of it, not just because of, you know, a, a little bit of David and Goliath going on here and trying to go back to back and all of those things. But TCU is like, you could throw everything out the window. Like they are not going to be scared of anything. And they've been in dogfight after dogfight after dogfight. And like you said earlier, same thing with Michigan. They they aren't going to back down whenever things are perhaps stacked against them. And 
unlike some of the other teams that have that have played in in uh, national championships or against Georgia, they will it, they will not stop generating offense. That is going to continue to happen the entire football game, even if Max Duggan's not out. Like backup quarterback wise, they got a dude that's coming in that's maybe better running the football than than Duggan. So they won't be out of it even if something like that were to happen. Yeah, it's. I'm hoping it's a much better game than a lot of people think it's going to be. But we'll talk more about it on Sunday. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. And Ted, you now have the Bishop McGinnis ad read. But first. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, students prepare to meet their potential with an individualized academic path that strives for success. Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA athletics, where they've won over 100 state championships and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. And attention business owners. You need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? I had to go with the NBA. I thought it was smart after all all that happened football-wise and all of the attention on the sport over the weekend. They had to try to swing the pendulum back into the NBA's favor. So they scheduled a a mid-season Harlem Globetrotters game uh, with the Globetrotters beating the hell out of the Boston Celtics. Uh, It was great. Um, They even had a... Uh, Globetrotter posing as a fan to hit a half-court shot for $20,000. It was amazing. What a thing going on there in uh, in OKC. How about that? Thunder put up 150 on the Celtics? That was, that was something, man. I, I mean, that was fun to watch without Shea Gilgis-Alexander. It was kind of one of those things where it was like, oh, SGA's not playing. The Celtics are in town. Let's get this thing over with, you know, even though Boston, they, they, they're not playing as good as they did early in the year when they just looked incredible offensively with, with Tatum and Brown, but yeah, that was an ass whooping dude. I mean, start yeah. to finish, put it on them. That's like, they're going to have to replace the rims like dunk after dunk after dunk. Uh, it was, it was just cool to see giddy. Uh, had a nice game. Some of the young guys getting in on the action. It was crazy. What two, 
what they had a what a 44 point quarter and a 48 point quarter there in the second and the third just absolute beat down well, that was five cool. guys over 20 it was i mean that's the most points in thunder history man <laughs> they Crazy. did it they did it in a game where they didn't have their best player and they're playing a really good team now that what Celtics didn't have Robert Williams. I understand that, but listen, one thing I will say about the thunder, that team, they very rarely at any point in the game, just pack it up and say, all right, Hey, you know, not our night. The Celtics did that at like <laughs> the start of the third quarter. Even Mark is smart. I forget what he got ejected, but it was one of those where did he get ejected because he's mad or was he like, okay, I, I don't want to play this game anymore. It kind of had that yeah. feel to it. It's like, I know some people from the, I, I got to go see some people from around here. I'm going to go hit the, hit the showers early. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, but that was, that was fun to watch. I was watching it out here and yeah, just shot after shot after shot. Sometimes you just have one of those nights and the thunder were, but they were on fire. Man, Isaiah Joe, Giddy, Dor, it didn't matter. Like everyone was hitting. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, whenever you've got a group of young, somewhat unknown, somewhat unproven players, a night like that could spark something for a team, you know, without your best player. And who knows, man, that was cool to see and a lot of fun. That, you know, with football over, that was I think uh, I think some fans around here needed something to to pick them up a little bit, have some fun with, and that came at the perfect time. Yeah, and uh, all of a sudden, you start you start looking at the standings, and who knows? There's a lot of basketball to be played, but Thunder only a game and a half out of the playing. Just saying. Yep. Just saying. Just saying. Now we'll we'll see how the rest of the season grows goes, but they've been very entertaining, man. It hasn't just been SGA. I, I think that the fan base. I know I certainly do. I I appreciate the effort that that team plays with, like the fight night in and night out that they play with. I don't think you you can, can you can question you know how much talent's on the roster, how's it stack up with other teams in the league. You you can talk a lot about that, but. I think they play as hard as any team in the NBA. And the that's all you can ask for. That's all you can ask for. Like I, I think and I think the fan base sees that. So would be awfully nice if Chet Holmgren could come back here, but I know that's not the plan. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But yeah, dude, that was fun to watch. And Boston Celtics fans, I don't know if you went through Twitter at all. They uh they did not handle it well. <laughs> it was great. I can imagine. I can imagine. But hey, um, you know, at least I guess if you're on the East Coast, you could hang it up early in that one and go ahead and and hit the sack and go to bed. Yeah, that's the one one positive from it. That's wow. That's a that's a great way of looking at it. All right, who do you have as your loser of the week? Well, you know, there's few things. I feel like that don't need improving. And one of the few things out there that I, I it doesn't necessarily not, not that it doesn't need improving, but it doesn't need a wholesale change. And 
the proposal of going to a 90 or 90 plus team NCAA college basketball tournament is preposterous in my opinion. I know that they're trying to make more money. I know that they're trying to get in what ends up being like a quarter of the teams. I understand all that, but I still think it's dumb. A 90 team tournament. No, thank you. I, this doesn't need to change. Everyone, if you can't make it into the top, you know, 60 some teams, then I, you have to say at some point you don't deserve to be there, right? Like, like, what are we talking about? I don't. I I think it's crazy. Um, what, what we're talking about is more money. I know. I know from the tournament, and this is kind of how I see it. It's going to happen mm-hmm. because the money is there, the sponsorship's going to be there, and we're all going to end up loving it. Because it's just going to be another round of March Madness. And I listen, I think the tournament's great the way it is. I think it's it's difficult to get in. It's fun. It's exciting. Like championship week leading up is like, it's a lot of fun to watch all those things. But it's going to be just like anything else. It's going to change. We're going to talk about how stupid it is, how we don't like it. Then we're going to get used to it. And we'll be like, you know what? It's not that bad. It's more, it's more March Madness, but yeah, it's, it's all about the NCA. They, they, they control one thing that's important, Ted, and that's the NCA basketball tournament. Mm-hmm. So they're looking at it going, Hey, let's stay alive. Let's stay relevant. Let's bring in more money and they're going to do it right. There's going to be a lot of pushback, but I expect it to happen and we'll get used to it, I think. And it'll be you know, OU will make more tournaments this way. So yeah. it's not overall, it's not a horrible thing, you know? Oh, okay. And I will yield to that point. But can I, I, I just ask one thing. Can we please speed the damn thing up? Mm. It's too long. It's already too long. You have this great momentum. Pretty much everyone in the country fills out a bracket, right? You get through the first weekend, a lot of brackets are busted, all right? You get through the second weekend, everyone's out of it. And then it drags on and on and on. And you totally lose everyone. If I was them, when you have everyone's attention, you do everything you can to keep it. And if they condensed it, it would go a really long way, but that that is something that again probably will not happen uh not only are they not going to condense it this is just going to stretch it out even more yeah march april and may madness is what we've got coming (laughs) they already play the title game in april i know so yeah middle of april madness baby let's go what does a 90 team bracket even look like no idea that i that's one of the, this is what you do. There's those bracket generators on the internet and you say, Hey, how many teams 90 and it spits out a bracket. I don't know how to do it. That the, the internet does it for you, man. So like, well, the odds like, there has to be right. There's gotta be some buys in there somehow. I, 
we probably should have just read more about it, but that would be well. Right now, technically, uh, sixty what uh, sixty two teams get a buy. They call the stupid ass playing games the first round, which is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. So there you go. Well, it's not the dumbest thing. It's up there. It's up there. Yet another dumb thing that I've seen in my life. How about that? All right, let's get to my winner and loser. But first, First Fidelity Bank is a full service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards last but certainly not least. You got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember, Balcones Single Malt won the best in glass competition back in 2012, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, Visit balconiesdistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the week, thought about going with Penn State. Man, they they put it on Utah in the Rose Bowl. Uh, that's a nice win for James Franklin. Uh, and, and I was happy for Sean Clifford. That guy has had, he's had an up and down career there. And it was it was nice to see him finish off with a really solid performance. I thought, I thought he played really well in that game. He did. Um, I agree. I, man, I wish Cam rising wouldn't have gone down. Yeah. That uh, sucked. I thought that it, I thought it was still going to be a good game at that point. Um, backup comes in, throws an interception, a player two later, and they just never had a chance to get back into it. But yeah, that was good for Penn state. I was, uh, I was I would not have picked them to win it. I would have I was going with Utah, but that's a nice win for Penn State. I uh, we've got something that just came out as we are recording uh when it comes to winner winner of the week material. I I would say the uh the Texas A&M haters are going to have themselves a time. Ted, you want to guess who Jimbo Fisher just hired as his offensive coordinator and to take over uh play calling duties? Give it to me. Of course, you know, you want to go young. You want to be innovative. So, of course, you hire Bobby Petrito to be the offensive coordinator for the Texas A&M Aggies. Hired him right out from uh, under Barry Odom's nose? Apparently. Wow. How about that? That's interesting. 
That's not I'm sure he's go got some well. young, fresh ideas. That's not going to go well. Are you sure that that's real? I am looking right at it, dude. <laughs> Chris Lowe, ESPN. Jimbo Fisher is finalizing a deal to hire Bobby Petrino as Texas A&M's offensive coordinator. He will also take over play calling duties. Sources tell wow. ESPN. Got a feeling that fan base is going to be um, not happy. Uh, listen, he's he's done some good things. He's, you know, he he could he could call some offense. He's he's done some good things in the past, but that's a shock right there. Shock. How yeah. many people you think turned him down before he got there? A lot. Has to be a lot, right? Had had to be at least five. Wow. That's I, fascinating. It is. And I can't wait for there's going to be so many reasons to use that picture of Petrino in the neck brace now. Oh my gosh. There's the probably internet already today. Oh yeah. There's probably already one where it's Jimbo Fisher in the neck brace, right? Oh, it has to be. It's got to be great. Thank you. Thank you, Jimbo. The internet's going to love this. But my winner of the week, and it's this is the way I'll put it like good things happening because of terrible situations. That, that's what I'm going to say because the DeMar Hamlin situation was scary as hell, right? Praying for him, praying for his family, his loved ones, all his teammates, coaches, all the Bills Mafia, right? That was that situation on Monday Night Football was. As scary as it gets, right? The guy just collapses like that. You you don't see that. You don't see that often. And it, it sounds like all the the latest updates have been very positive. Seems like things are trending in a in the direction that the doctors were hoping that they would trend. Um, so we'll see what happens with his overall health moving forward and, and what it means for his football career. But out of that awful situation. So, something did something good came out of it right because uh, by now everyone's seen the toy drive for his foundation that he was doing before christmas the chasing m's foundation this thing had a goal of 2500 bucks and i just checked it they are currently up to six and a half million dollars um, so to to help his community, um, the things that he was doing through his foundation, that was that was really cool to see people respond uh, to that, and people continue to give and give and give. But man, Ted, that's it was a great reminder. Football is an extremely violent game. Um, it can it can be very scary at times, but you know something, you know, out of a situation that was as scary as that was. You know, good and positivity uh, has prevailed with people given to his foundation. So, you know, an awful situation, and, and I don't think he's out of the woods yet. But it seems like things are things are trending well. But that was really cool to see people respond that way. Yeah, a very modest goal of twenty five hundred bucks to to help some kids with the toy drive, and up to six and a half million dollars. He's going to have to have some help allocating that much, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> right. They have to uh, hire someone. 
that's that's awesome that's that's really cool um yeah when whenever whenever people want to help and are are worried of the situation and don't know what else to do this this is how people are, are going to help out and it's it's awesome to see thought it was great yeah but yeah, you know, I know a lot of people want to dive into, you know, were they going to restart the game? You know, what did the NFL say? What did they not say? You've got, you know, Joe Buck and ESPN defending what they were saying. Hey, we're going to restart. Like, I, I don't really care about that. I just, I, I care about the fact that it seems like he's all right. And that people responded in this way. I, I just think, you know, it makes you there. We, we get, we got, we get inundated with a lot of negative, right? And it was cool to see uh, people do this. So that was, uh, you know, out of a awful situation, you know, as bad as it can be, right? Monday night football, getting called off, guy getting CPR on the field, like the whole thing, like as bad as it could be to his foundation just getting supported like this. It's awesome. No, it is. I've got one thing to add. And it's not in a negative sense, but it's something that I think needs to be said. We did the podcast after the game and we're super critical of Florida state and the fake injury situation. Right. And this, the way this unfolded hammers home. Why? I'm so frustrated with the faking of injuries. Whenever you have guys crying wolf time after time after time on the field, we become desensitized to it. Medical staff, coaches, officials. And I want everyone to go back and watch the replay of what happened on Monday Night Football. The tackle's made, he stands up, and then passes out backwards. It looks like one of the situations we've seen where guys take a dive, right, and just flop and fall back or or act hurt. The official, like, sees it happen and, like, shrugs like this, blows the whistle and, you know, calls for official timeout. It is these seconds are critical. And I'm not saying that the medical staff on the field didn't get out there in time. And I'm not saying that's bad on the official. But what I'm saying is whenever guys fake injury time and time and time again, everyone becomes desensitized to it. And it doesn't appear to be as as critical or dangerous of a situation as it is. It just reinforces my opinion that it should be totally eliminated from the game. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, yeah, because you see guys just kind of going limp and laying down, right, to slow down tempo teams in college football. And, you know, it doesn't look all that different than what we saw uh, from Hamlin. So that's, that's watch, an interesting point. Go back point. and watch the official. Yeah. Watch the official. He like uh, shrugs and puts his hands up, like because that's exactly what he thought it was. He thought he was take, just doing one of those flops. Yeah. So, um, most importantly, 
uh, praying for for Hamlin, his family, everyone, and hopefully, you know, it's at this point, it's like hopefully he can just live a normal life after this. But you know, clearly, I was playing football for a living. Hopefully, we get to see him back out on the football field uh, sometime soon. But an awful situation. People responded in a very cool way, supporting his foundation. So I wanted to find a way to work that in. And that yeah. was, uh, that was the best I could come up with, man. It's awesome. Very, very well done. And I'm sure that number is going to continue to climb. Yeah. All right. For my loser of the week, thought about going with Mike Gundy because people just keep entering the portal. What John Paul Richardson, Bryson green, who you and I really like, uh, Stephon Johnson, who had a huge play for them in the bowl game, like all in the portal, all wide receivers. What's going on in Stillwater, man? I, I like, are they trying to get Casey Dunn fired? Are they trying to get a new quarterback there? Like, I, this is not good for Oklahoma State. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't, I haven't heard anything within the program as to what's going on, but. Gosh, they've got to be up there with Texas A&M for, for guys that have hit the portal. And it's not just number of players in the portal. A&M's got a bunch of players in the portal, a bunch of young guys from last year's signing class. And not that that's insignificant, but Oklahoma State is losing like a, the bulk of their, like, their relevant players, or at least up to this point, have have played guys that are, you know, the stars, the rotational guys, the it's kind of the who's who of their roster, which is, it's not good. I don't know what's going on there, but it's going to be tough to, to come back from that. I mean, that's, you know, they've done a really good job at making the best of the talent that they have. I don't know how in the world they can absorb a shot like they've had so far through the portal. Yeah. It's, it's strange, but Gundy's got to figure it out. I mean, and quit. You got to get some of these guys to get out of the portal and come back. But we'll we'll see. Uh, Oklahoma State fans have have to be getting a little nervous, though, man. It's scary. Yeah, scary. But my loser of the week, USC. Of course, we're going to talk about this, people. Come on, what'd you think? <laughs> uh, up fifteen on Tulane with what was like four twenty something left to go in the game, and it essentially was a disaster. From that point on, Tulane goes right down the field in two plays, scores a touchdown. Then, for whatever reason, instead of just letting the ball go out of bounds, Mario Williams tries to handle it on the kickoff. He bobbles it out at like the one-yard line. I think it was on the second play of that drive. Tulane forces a safety. So, it what that made it 45-39. Then, Tulane gets the ball after the safety, of course and proceeds to go 12 plays, 66 yards. They convert fourth and six and fourth and 10 on that drive. And no timeouts. Held- Did they have – they had no timeouts on the, the – was it the whole drive or most of the drive? Yeah. So it was the whole like – Yeah. It was – and Pratt, Michael Pratt, who we saw up close and personal, right? Remember? Yeah. And we liked him then. He put That's the team exactly on his back. exactly what he looked like. <laughs> yeah, put the team on his back. Uh, leads, leads a fantastic game-winning drive. Hell of, hell of a catch by the tight end there in the end zone. 
not letting that one hit the ground. But man, that was a that was a collapse for Southern Cal. And that is that's not a fun way to end a season at all. No. They go from maybe being the hottest program in the country to I I don't know I don't know what you call it with the amount of backlash from their own fans, from their own media, from personalities across the country in college football about Lincoln Riley and, you know, same situation and former players of theirs chiming in it. What did Lindell White say? It, it's a shame to be a Trojan today. I was like, damn, man. <laughs> Which, you know, I, that's that's crazy to me. Was he saying the same thing last year when they were four and eight? I mean, I'm not saying that it's okay that they lost the game in the fashion that they did, but, uh, you know, they haven't even been there a calendar year yet. So, I don't know. I, that was a little wild, but a bad look. Bad look. Yeah, and Tajay Spears destroyed that USC defense. That man was running wild. 205, four touchdowns. Mm. And, and I know... And this is something that you and I talk about quite a bit with any defense, but whether people were calling for Ted Roof's job this year or it was Alex Grinch, you know, people calling for his job last year. Now the USC fans are doing the same thing with Alex Grinch. Go back and look at some of Tajay Spears' runs. Guys are unblocked. Unblocked there to make a tackle. Unblocked, no one touching them, one-on-one, there to make a tackle. That is, that's on those guys. Like, they're there to make the play. Like, I know everyone wants to blame the system, all this stuff. Dude, guys have to make plays. And I'm not trying to, now, I like Grinch a lot. I don't want him to get fired out there at USC because uh, he was just, he's a great dude. But. What else can he do, man? There are guys one-on-one with Tajay Spears and not, I'm not talking like out in space. I'm talking in the hole whiffing on him. That's on the defensive yeah. coordinator. Like I, this is got to make plays, grade. man. Yeah. This isn't seventh grade. Yeah. You drill tackling. Yes. You practice tackling. Yes. A coach has a, a say in, in, and how you train it and how you develop it. Yes. But for the most part, the coach's job is to put you in a position schematically to where you have a chance. And if you got unblocked guys right there to make plays and they can't do it, then, uh, you know, I, I don't know the answer on as to how you fix that. I mean, a lot of it is player. A lot of it is development, but, it's hard to be mad at a coach whenever you've got a guy standing there in the gap unblocked and he's not even making contact on the tackle. It's yeah. frustrating. It's it was it was something to watch, but Ted, my allegiances, my connection to USC is officially gone. <laughs> because Connor McQueen 
got hired as the offense coordinator at Incarnate Word. And he is taking the one, the only, Austin Woods with him to be his offensive line coach. So, teammate, one of my best friends, groomsman in my wedding, no longer at USC. I no longer have to even pay attention to that program, really. My connection to it is gone, and it feels good, man. Let's go. <laughs> Come on, baby. Come on, Woods. Let's go incarnate word. Uh, well, good for you because um, at least as of right now, my connection is still there, is still there. And I'm I'm hoping he's able to stay there, but um, that's awesome. And good for Austin Woods getting uh, the o- O-line coaching job. That's great. Go from uh, defense to offense. Defensive analyst, lead defensive analyst. To the O-line coach. Back where he belongs, baby. Come on. Come on. Oh, and uh, John Cooper, offensive line coach at North Texas. Awesome. Good for Coop. I know he had, it seems like he had a, multiple options there. And, yeah, he he, just, he he is, he's a tremendous coach. So, uh, I'm excited for those O-linemen at North Texas. I'll say this. O-linemen at North Texas. Boys, get ready to work. He did not play around, man. He does not play around. On that note, episode 280 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Sunday, Monday, sometime. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. I've taken the entire week off. It has been mandated by my wife from SiriusXM Radio. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have an awesome weekend. Until next time. We appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Man.